On this episode of the Dudes and Dads podcast, we talk with our good friend Gil Michelle about racial reconciliation in our country. You're listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMott and Andy Lehman. Hey there, Andy. How we doing? Oh, man. It's... It, <laughs> it's a that's thing. That's about it. It's a, it's a thing. Uh, guys, welcome back to the Dudes and Dads podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us in the ongoing saga that is 2020 man oh man wow we have a lot of things to cover andy can we just skip the rest of this year you know what let's just fast forward 2021 here we come all right um guys uh thanks for being back with all of us uh andy and i are so glad to have you here uh very excited about our guest uh, that is with us uh this time around our good friend gil michelle um gil uh i'll just give you a little preview gil is a brother from another mother. We love him dearly. Good friend, part of our uh, church uh, network. He pastors uh, that church downtown. That is actually that's the, actually the name. The name. It is. You know, for the longest time, people would be like, you know, that church downtown. I'd be like, what? What, what church, church are you talking are you about? Ta-? That's literally the. It's yeah. that church yeah. downtown uh, in beautiful South Bend, Indiana. He and his wife uh, uh, Marquito are just. Uh, partner leaders there so grateful for them uh but they they have learned so much i think about what it means to be uh active leaders in a city um and also uh have really been a big part of my learning journey uh really in recent golly well recent weeks here as just things have uh taken a real turn in our country andy if you they they have if you haven't noticed um we were joking earlier. I'm like, man, this year is one big dumpster fire. And Andy's like, no, literally, there, there's dumpster fires. It's actually, it's actually going on. Um, so uh, normally we would do, you know, our what's brewing. We do this all our stuff, but we're just going to. We're just going to get in it tonight. We're going to jump in. All right, we're going to ask questions. We're going to have so, a conversation. So, Gil, welcome to the show. We're honored to have you here uh, chatting with us tonight. First, first off, let's talk here. Dad stats. Who you are marriage, kids, all that good stuff. Give us the information, sir. Yeah. Uh, see, my social security number is... <laughs> okay, um, not that good stuff. Yeah, not yeah. That oh, good sorry. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, my name is Gil Michelle. I'm, uh, I'm, I live here in South Bend, Indiana. I've been here now for about 20 years and um, came here as, after being born and raised uh, for the first 20... Gosh... 20-something uh, years of my life in Brooklyn, in Queens, in Long Island, New York. And so Brooklyn raised. And um, yeah, married to Marquito. We've been married, good gracious, alive. This year we'll make eight years. Uh, we have a son, Christian, who is six years old. And adorable. Um, I was pre- <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was previously married, and so I have a daughter from previous marriage. Um, my daughter, Jolay, is 20. She'll be 24 in September, and she uh, is a master's in her second year. Well, she's just about finishing her first year master's student um, at Northwestern University in Chicago, and um, 
ultra ultra proud of her yes as well. so yes and so she's yeah, doing she's doing she's in mental health correct is this oh uh, therapy family therapy yeah therapy. beautiful yeah yeah and i just talked to her what the day before yesterday and she she's oh dad i'm doing all my appointments and my clients i'm like clients she was yeah 10 clients i'm like you what <laughs> so yeah she's doing amazingly well and getting quite quite the uh experience Amazing. Yeah. And then Gil, uh, not only uh, you pastor, but then you also head up the Caleb group, which what, what, what exactly it's, it's, uh, yeah. What exactly is that? <laughs> uh, we are a, a small group, two out of 10 out of 12. Beautiful. We take mountains That's and we, uh, conquer lands. No, we, uh, <laughs> it's it. a small, it's a, if people who don't read their Bibles are like, what? Yeah. 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 Uh, Look it up, people. Anyway, we, yeah. Uh, the Caleb Group is actually a small accounting firm. Um, actually got the name from the Bible, Caleb Group, because even though we're small, we like to compare ourselves with the big boys. So uh, we focus on small business accounting and um, also have a whole wing that we do just churches. So we have a website called uh, uh, Church Accounting Services, and we service uh, mostly small, medium-sized churches throughout the country as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Which, yeah. uh, we know that those small medium churches, they need good financial care. That is, uh, yes. uh like that is, um, there, I, it has been my experience that there are a lot of small churches that do not have good financial care and they, they put themselves in some bad places. So I, agree. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. So that's, uh, we're grateful for that service as well. Uh, yeah. Gil, uh, so my friend, um, first of all, I just uh, very personally, um, so, Gosh, it's like, where do we start with everything that has been going on? It is, uh, it, it feels like just continues to escalate. There are more layers that are being added to this, but, um, really back at the, well, I mean, we could move back to, uh, well, where could, how far should we go back to when we started having the conversation about, uh, yet again, uh, the the Aubrey uh, murder, and then we had you know Mr. Floyd's murder, and we have uh, all these pieces, and that's sort of where the conversation began. For me personally, I just started to be like, I just had this moment where I'm like, um, things are way worse than I thought they were, and and I think I I would agree the same thing for me yeah. too. It's like I mean growing up as a, a white guy, like I don't think I stopped to look at that and realize just how bad they were yeah. until recently. Yeah. So there was that moment of crisis where you're like, I have failed to recognize the real situation we're living in. What yeah. do I do now? And so I do the only thing that I can think I call all my black friends and I say, help me <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. qu quite honestly, uh, because I recognize that there's some, there's just some gaps in my understanding or, or uh, a, a sense of, I don't know what to do next now yeah. that I'm, I'm, I'm coming to this place. And so, um, and so even as I reached out to uh, my friend Clarence, who uh, was pastoring in this area and is now, um, uh, he's just, moved. he's moved up to Wisconsin, um, which, you know, <sighs> Clarence, Clarence is used to cold weather, but it's just going to get, <laughs> man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm scared for him. But as I reached out to just to my friends, uh, uh, other, you know, these 
black leaders and just heard and just basically just said, I'm just, I want to understand. I want to learn. I, I, I just really have this sense that uh, I need to catch up on some things. Um, and then just got in touch with you guys and uh, have just kind of what it feels like kind of eavesdropped into the conversations you and your wife have been having um, with a larger community and, and which has been incredibly helpful. Let me just say, and, and for all of you, uh, uh, Gil and Marquito have done, you know, there's several like short videos and other kind of conversation points in their, on their social media. And we'll, we'll link to all their, we'll link to all their good information. Um, but Gil, I'm just, I'm just wondering what do you on the big picture? Cause we want to get to kind of the, we want to get to how, like for you guys personally, but on the, the big picture, um, what are you noticing right now? What do you see as like, if you're thinking about a way forward for our country right now, kind of big picture, what, what do we need to do? And I, and I'm asking you like, like you're like the president of the United States or something, but like what, for, from your perspective, what do we got to deal with? Yeah, I know. Right. Wow. I know. Yeah. What do, what do we have to deal with? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I read a, read an article, uh, by a pastor. I believe he was in, in Minnesota as well, but maybe St. Paul. And, um, the, the woman, the female woman, white woman who was asking a black pastor, Hey, what, you, what conversations are you having with your church? Um, no, can you share me, with me some of the conversations you're having with, with your mostly black congregation? And he went, Nope. <laughs> I went, Wait, maybe I read that wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm having two sets of conversations, quite honestly. Like he said, he was really honest about it. I'm having black, uh, conversations with people in the black community, people who are black, and I'm having a, another conversation with white with white people. And and so when you say, what do we have to do? Well, I think I think the one thing we all have to do is continue to have conversations. And I think you've probably heard that me, me saying that. Yep. Uh, a number of times on the, on, the, on the platforms I've been on is that we have to have conversations because um, we have to have them because what I'm realizing is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Um, so even just now in the introduction when you're like, you know, there's some things I just didn't realize as a white person and I went, it, I'm hearing more and more uh, people say that and I go, don't. How, how could you not? And this is not a slight, this is right. not a slam against yeah. you. Yep. But with, with Google and YouTube and all the resources around us, it's like, how could you not know? And so Sunday I talked about a conversation Marquito, my wife had with um, a good friend, someone she considers a really good friend. And uh, she said, I didn't know why people were this upset about things. And and uh, so we talked about it after the fact, after the phone call. And she said, Gil, I, I don't know. And I go, you know, part of me believes her. Like, I want to believe that she just didn't know. Sure. Uh, but there is a part of me that says, but I think a part of white America doesn't want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that proverbial sweeping uh, stuff under the rug. And we swept it under the rug as a nation for so long. Um that it just, it's just this big lumpy thing in the middle of the, li- the living room and everyone is tripping over it. Mm-hmm. Every couple of years, you know, before Ahmaud Arbery and Bri- Breonna Taylor, it was Mike Brown, it was Sandra Bland, it was 
Falan Castro. It was, it was, it was, it's been happening over, we keep tripping over what we keep trying to sweep under. And I, I, I've talked to a number of people about why this, why now it's so important. Why is it coming to such a head now? And there are a lot of maybe different, different thoughts about that, but, but I think the, the number one thing we have to do is have conversations about the subject. Have it with your white friends, have it with your, with your family around the dinner table. And you might be very shocked about what comes up um, in those conversations. Um, I've had conversations with people that I thought I knew, and they said things that I never thought I th never thought they would say. I still love them, mm -hmm. but I do have a little side eye going yeah. on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's how you really think? That's how you, wow. that's how you think? Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, um, so it's, it's challenging on a lot of levels, but I think first and foremost, everyone needs to have conversations. Um, and then really, really educate yourself, mm -hmm. dig in and don't just hear things from maybe a person who thinks like you all the time, but really seek to understand, do the research, watch the hour long interviews and, and just understand what it's going on for white America, what's going on in the, in, in the heart of the other brothers and sisters. Um, and then for, for people who are black, um, a lot of us are like, wow, feels good to to be acknowledged and um and to to somehow because when black people have been saying this for years and to to finally feel like, like a lot of people are hearing is uh it's almost a new so sort of this new phenomenon to yeah. be honest with you. yeah yeah and so um I'm maybe not speaking so much for myself, but I feel like I am speaking for a segment of America where like those of us in the, um, the conservative white evangelical circle, right? Y'all know, y'all yeah. know who you are. Uh, we, there, there's so much been so much pushback because I've, I've heard this from people where the politicizing of race has been going on for long enough where it's like, okay, I hear people on the from a different political opinion talking about race, but because they are of a different political opinion, I don't know what I can trust from them uh, because I think right. they have, I think, you know, uh, like I think this party has been using black people for their platform uh, it, because for me, quite honestly, Gil, and uh, you just tell me what you think. I think we should have fixed this problem a long time ago. A lot of governmental ink has been spilled to try to deal with race stuff, whether, and we've had Democrats in office, we've had Republicans in office, we had all this. I don't know how serious people have actually, you know, they've talked about it in their political platforms and all, but it's like, is anybody actually serious about this or is, are they just using, you know, the issue of race or reconciliation or whatever to, to get, votes is that a fair question it's a fair question it's not even a question it's a fact okay <laughs> okay yeah. yeah black people have been used as pawns for the longest and this is just strictly my opinion this is probably not the uh the the thought of uh, or the opinion of most black community uh but black people have been used kind of as political pawns for a long time and um it's probably way too much to unpack on on a podcast like this but um I think there's blame on both sides. Mm -hmm. I think there's blame on both sides because I think the issue of race is not um, the 
it's not uh, the baby of just sort of the quote unquote black, uh, the, the Democratic Party, which has in recent history has been sort of where the black vote has been has been populated. But I think there's blame on both sides of the aisle. And um, because it's really not a political issue, it right. really is a race issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. And it is racist Democrats, just like it is racist Republicans, um, bigoted Democrats, just like bigoted Republicans. Um, and that you let people talk for long enough, the truth, the truth will come out. Yeah. It's happened with, in yeah. my opinion, it's happened with Trump. It's happened with Biden. Mm-hmm. It's happened with. It's happened with a lot of people. Just you just let people talk long enough, and they will literally trip over their own words. Yeah, because it, it really is a race issue. I don't think it's a political issue at all. Yeah. And that's, and that's why, I mean, and for us as, uh, I don't know, again, I'm just going to say it again. It's a good time to be an Anabaptist y'all. Cause here's the, here's the deal. Uh, we, we're trying to, I mean, in point I, to a part apart, I am trying to rescue the, I feel like I am trying to rescue with the people that are in my circle that are under, you know, that are listening to me as a, as a spiritual leader. I feel like I'm trying to constantly rescue the conversation away from, uh, the politics of all of it. And it, it, cause yeah. it, it's like, it's like, okay, guys, if the, if, if the gospel is true and there is no man, woman, young, old, black, white, free, whatever, if this is, if this has been fundamentally made true, then we need, like, that's what our conversation needs to be about. That's what our actions need to be about. I don't care where you, where you stand politically. In fact, I'm suspicious of the entire political en- enterprise to even solve this because ultimately it's a heart thing. I mean, is, exactly. isn't it Gil? It, it absolutely is. And so people ask, I mean, we should have dealt with this a long time ago. Well, how are we going to deal with it from the, you know, from the political side? A lot of laws have been passed. It's been over 40 years since Dr. King was assassinated, since the March on Selma, uh, Bridge on Selma. It's been years since slavery, quote unquote, ended. But we see things being switched and transformed and moved into new things. After slavery, it was the sharecropping, it was Jim Crow, it was this, it was that, it was lynchings, it was then it's redlining, it's this and that. It's like, so where does it stop? You know, so it takes on new forms. It, it's like trying to get ahead of a wave. Uh, racism has changed its, its face. It's changed its politics. It's changed many times its methods. But at the root of it, it's never changed. That's very so, good. Go, going back, I just wanted to say that you'd mentioned about having conversations with our family around the dinner table. And I know that that's one of the things that my wife and I have really taken this last week and just had conversations with our kids because uh, our kids, we live in the middle of the country. Like we don't live in the city. Like there's our trash guy is an African-American guy. That's about the only that they see. And so for them, like we've taken this opportunity and just had conversations and it's been interesting to see their responses and, and, and to some point it's almost like they don't see the, like they don't see the racism. Like I guess that's what I'm saying. Like they, they they're still not, young enough that they've not been taught by the world any other way. And so it's good to have these conversations now so that they know like yeah. there's stuff going on and there's hate in this world. And, and so that they can name that and see that and not be ignorant to, to that. Gil, I'm Gil. I'm wondering, and obviously, you know, Christian is, he's little yet he's young. And this mm-hmm. is where it kind of gets, uh, you know, we, we've had this conversation about the national conversation, but there is, 
there's the the living room conversation that we're all having to have um what and this is what i i and i hope those that are listening this the i want to i'm really interested in what the current conversation you and marquito are having with christian and what you foresee the conversation will be like with him as he gets older because I, i'm guessing that it just the the scope of it increases as he as he ages i would assume absolutely does yeah yeah there's some things just because he's six that we're not going to say but uh but you probably heard this in the, in the talk that marquito and i had recently online she used an example of you know there's some kids right next door a little boy who's christian's age who lives next door he's white and he's six six years old uh he had the little brother is three um some other boys were outside playing with nerf guns well marquito said can i oh christian said can i play outside with them and sure you can play out there we're getting ready to have dinner but yeah go outside and play when she turns around she sees christian and um with the gun in his hand running around going pew pew pew, pew you know and she lost it. Hmm. She ran outside. You would have thought he got hit by a car. Get that gun out of your hand. You, you don't have the luxury of, of playing with a toy gun outside. Why? Because of Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. who's playing cops and robbers in a park. Someone calls the police on this 11-year-old boy. The police officer shoots him down in cold blood. Because he's playing with the toy gun in the park. We don't have that luxury. And so I don't, I wish I didn't have to have that talk with Christians. Sure. But unfortunately, I do. It's going to be the same talks I, my father actually gave me. My father had a very interesting, I'm Haitian American. My dad is from Haiti. So when he came here, he didn't just face discrimination because he was black, he was also from Haiti coming from the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, coming into New York, and smart as, if not smarter, than some of the people he was working with, doing accounting, training those people so that they can then become his supervisor. So I already know that raising and enculturating a young black boy in America has to come up, has to have additional tools. Mm. I have to tell Christian, I don't want him to just be a good student because he wants so he can be a good student. I'm telling him he has to be a good student because he has to be a good student. You have to, excuse me, speak with great diction and, and use proper grammar. You have to write well. You, my father said this, Gil or Junior, I'm a junior. He goes, Junior, <laughs> you have to work twice as hard to get half as far as your white counterparts. Know that. But don't ever think that you are any better or any less than they are. Mm -hmm. But here's the reality, you know, you're going to have to work twice as hard. And so I'm going to tell Christian, I'm going to give him that talk, but I'm also going to lace that conversation with a lot of grace and the favor that I also know that's on his life. So I'm going to come at it with a different perspective and with the God uh, card, as a friend of mine says. And so it's not going to be as hard edged as that. But I, I have to arm my son with some very real realities uh, about the world we're in. And of course, it's going to be age appropriate based on where he is. Um, but but they're going to be very, very necessary conversations, unfortunately. Yeah. 
We, uh, yeah. it, uh, we have, uh, friends who have an adopted son who is black, who is a runner and he's not, uh, I'm dead. And I, I like, <laughs> it, it just like, this is the reality. They are, uh, they have told him that he can't run in their neighborhood right now because also in their neighborhood, there's been some break-ins recently and they're like, we're not putting you in that spot. Right. And, um, I have to be honest previously to all of this, I would have thought y'all are overreacting. Like you're creating this kid to be, and I, I think this, I've heard this sort of sentiment sentiment. You're creating this, 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 this kid of color to be, uh, uh, to be overly cautious or fearful or, or what, or whatever. Um, and then we have seen what has unfolded recently and it's like, I don't think it's so crazy anymore. Um, that seems like wise parenting mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah. but yeah. at the same time, I'm, I'm Gil, I'm just assuming you feel that obviously, and I've, I've picked up on this, the tension of having to tell your kid, you're going to have to work harder and not get as far knowing that as your child gets older, I mean, that is a prime, like no matter what child you told that to regardless of color, if you just told them that basic, like, Hey, you junior, no matter what, are going to have to work twice as hard to get half of the distance. It's, it's kind of a ripe field for anger and bitterness. Like the kid can go, a, a child can grow up and that can be a really hard pill to swallow. Like no matter who you are, and then when the fact is, oh, by the way, that's that's true because just of the color of your skin. I, I just wonder, like h- helping a kid navigate that reality seems really tough. <laughs> Obviously, it, you know what I um I would say that if I didn't get the other side of it, mm-hmm. um, that my father also built in us because some some people will say, man, I can really. Man, a child, a child can develop a victim mentality, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't the only thing he told me. Yeah. It was one of the things he told me. Mm-hmm. He also yeah. told me, "So you are smart as any." I graduated um, top of my class in elementary school. I was in National Honor Society. When I, I mean, I I did really well because I think my father also he he did both sides. He didn't yeah. do either or. He didn't raise us to be angry young black men. He. He raised us, me and my two brothers, to be very astute about the world we live in. Yeah. The other side of that is, I grew up in the 70s where you had shows like All in the Family with Archie Bunker. You got mm-hmm. the Jeffersons. You got, so it's so weird. I, I'm like, man, how would those shows translate today? Because <laughs> they were so out there for the yeah. 70s. Yeah. And um, and so you just, you just very aware, aware of the world you lived in. Yeah. And um, I don't know if just because they were getting used to that freedom and that, I don't know what it was, but I didn't grow up with a complex. I just grew up very, very aware. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian right now is probably as confident as any kid, sometimes a little bit too confident. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I also think what I, what I want him to be is confident, but I also want him to be knowledgeable. Yeah. And when, you know, he's, we've watched him in the playground, but we've gone into certain places and we see it. We watch how he uh, will go into a playground and maybe how other parents will shield their children or just little things. And so we don't explain, we didn't explain that to him at three and four years old, but as he begins to get older, we are going to have those conversations with him. And there are going to be some people who don't like you. You know why? Because your skin is brown. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I could already see his face like, what? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's hard to explain. That's just hard to explain. I mean, to a kid to, to understand that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, uh, and, and, and I just, I, that's the part of the thing that I just want people to understand is that uh, the conversation that you have explained that your father had with you and that you are having with Christian, um, that seems to be pretty commonplace. That is a, that is kind of a cultural reality for many, many families yep. of, uh, it's going, it's going to be different for you. And I, I just think I just know within certain spheres of within white folks, the whole thing, like the whole idea of like you have to have like there's this sense of, um, oh, what is it like? They're incredulous to the idea that you that you're having these conversations about like just just know automatically that you're going to be treated different. People don't want to just fundamentally believe that they just they just want to believe like you don't need to have that conversation with your kid. Everybody can be treated equal. And if they just grow up and live life, they'll see that, you know, if they're a person of character, that it'll, it'll all work out in the end. Well, and I was even thinking, Joel, like I've, you know, I told my kids when they're like, Hey, I want to be X, Y, Z. I'm like, do it. You can do it. Right. And like <laughs> that doesn't, I mean that for, for, for you and a lot of people of color, that doesn't happen. Like you can't just say, do anything you want. Like you were saying there, you have to work twice as hard and get half as far as the white counterpart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so Gil, um, a lot of uh, other, you know, converse and, and I should say, uh, I, we can learn a lot from our, just uh, our kids in general. Like I love watching my kids interact with other, like, so here in, here in Goshen, we are, fi- our school systems, 57% Hispanic. So uh, my kids are the minority in their, in their school, which is a really like, really interesting thing i mean it just it's just totally an interesting thing of um and th- th- by the way they're completely oblivious to it this is normal for them like wow like yeah that's that's their new norm that's that, their normal. that's their that's their that's their normal and yeah. um but the thing that i've uh so i i really struggled following uh when when the video uh with george floyd came out i really struggled so my two oldest sons are nine and ten and a half. And I was like, I was like, I need to have a conversation with them. I really struggled. It's like, okay, wh- what do I, sh- what do I show them? What do we, yeah. whatever. And I, I was prayerful about it. And I'm like, you know what? My kids see lots of things already. I'm going to show them the arrest. I'm going to show them the arrest video, you know? And, mm. and, uh, it, it, and it was just like, so I just sat them down and I said, guys, this is because by the way, we have, we don't have like, we don't have TV anymore. So like they had not seen news. They had not seen uh, anything. And I just said, like, I just had the sense of, okay, they cannot not know about this. So I sat him down. I showed him, I showed him the video. Now about a minute into the video, my eldest son, Aaron says like before, before he went unconscious, my eldest son says they're going to kill him. Aren't they like just Hmm. knew that. Wow. And mm. if a 10 year old can figure out like could figure out the dynamics that were going on there, that, that to me was like, we all can, as adults can open our eyes. Like, right. you know, so cause I, I said nothing. I like, I gave no, I, cause Aaron was like, well, why are all these people protest? Like he's like, he's, why are these people protesting? I was like, well, some things have happened. This is one of them. I'm going to show you this video. I, so I gave like very little context for any of it. 
And then right. he's like, oh, I get it. I get why people are mad. And it's like, uh-huh. Okay. Well, spoken mm-hmm. spoken by a 10-year-old. Uh, yes. That's pretty, pretty straightforward and basic. And I just think, yeah, like how we're parenting our kids right now in terms of the conversations, in terms of coming to turn, in terms of recognizing black families are having conversations with their kids to keep their kids safe that white families are, will never have to have right now. Um, uh, I mean, Gil, will you have a conversation with Christian someday about if he ever gets pulled over by the police? Absolutely. I had the same conversation as well as a teenager, right? My parents never talked to me about that. Right. Like, like, like my parents never told me what to do when I got pulled over by the cops because they fundamentally knew it was going to be fine because for a white male the the police are there for law and order right and they're an advocate right we see the converse we see the relationship as adversarial right and so let me tell you a quick story i was in south bend i just came back from new york helping my brother in his tax office in new york i come home i get some messages i run over to a client i'm coming back i'm in mishawaka coming home or coming back to my office after picking up some paperwork from a client. I come back, I'm driving down the street and quite honestly, I probably was going a little faster than I should, but it wasn't like ridiculous. Right. So I see a police officer driving opposite me. He turns around, he flashes his lights. I, t- I pull, uh, there's no shoulder on the road. So I drive up maybe another half a block and I turn into a gas station. The guy is screaming at the top of his voice. His hand, his gun is already drawn. When he approaches my window, I put my window down. I said, what's the problem, officer? Curses me out. I can't tell you what he was saying. Mm -hmm. He puts the barrel of the gun to my head. I look in my rearview mirror. There are four additional cars behind him. There's another car, uh, officer on the passenger side of my car with his gun drawn. I'm a grown man. Mm-hmm. I'm born and raised in New York. There's not a whole lot of stuff that scares me. <laughs> yeah. I was scared that yeah. day. Yeah. Let me add, this didn't happen on a dark street, on a dark corner. Right. It happened at 11 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Yeah. The guy is screaming at me. Yeah. I almost released myself right in my seat. Yeah. I was terrified because what did I I do? Yeah. Did I go seven, eight, nine, ten miles over the speed limit? Does that, does, is this warranted for that? A forged check? Is that, so, so when you, and as, as well adjusted as I am, you put someone in that situation, you don't know how it's going to go down. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And yeah. when you've been sort of um, conditioned and enculturated, it's not even acculturated from my family to think that we're less than, but when the per- per- pervasive or the pervading um, attitude in the, in the main culture is that, Gil, you're a threat. You're a big black man. And you threaten people. Your very existence threatens people, scares people. And you have to actually work from that place. Man, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a, that's the, that's the twice the work. 
Yeah. Right. You got, yeah. you got to do what you already do. Plus you also got to, your other second job is to also dispel the myth yeah. that people have about it and manage other people's emotions about you. Exactly. Like that is ex- like, <laughs> that's a, uh, uh, well, we pastors have to do that every once in a while for other <laughs> other reasons, but uh, but that's that can that can just that's emotionally exhausting to have to have to live in that that reality. Um, yeah, and again, I just hope that's something that people hear. Like, uh, and Gil, I mean, I I've I've been with you a few times when you and Marquito are the only persons of color in the room that. You know, and you're you're if you're speaking or or sharing or anything like that, I do mm-hmm. wonder, are there are there sensitive like sensitivity is not even the right word. Are, are I mean, I'm guessing you recognize when you're the only when you're only you're the only black person in the room. You know, do you notice that? Not hard to tell. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so like. Uh, and you know, we Swiss German folk, I, Gil and Marquito have just have, inter, inter, uh, have, uh, engaged with our, our faith, various faith communities in our church network many times. It's been really good. Uh, but you know, it's a Swiss German group. So not a lot of, uh, not a lot of color. Uh, but we do, <laughs> but do have some, uh, Latino uh, communities that have, are, have joined with us, but it's, it's, um, I just, I wonder when you're walking into those situations though, it, it, are there things that you have learned like, do you feel that you're ever fully yourself with, with those kind of groups where it's like, you're, mm. you're like, you're the person of color in the room. You're the black guy talking, uh, you know, to all these, all these folks. Is there something about you that you feel you're like, you're like all you're holding back either consciously or, or subconsciously? Cause I know if the, if the tables were turned, I might, fe- I don't know. I think I would feel that way personally. Like, mm. Can I, you know, how do I be me in this, in this setting, I guess? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good, that's a really good question. I think, um, I do think that, I mean, as far as it's so, sort of different levels to it, I guess. Um, it's not a whole lot of people, you know, within our, our network that I'm like, Hey, or, or have a, a lot maybe in common with, cultural things is probably not no yeah but i think one of the reasons and one of the things that caused us to make the decision to be a part of the network is the that we didn't feel any um those apprehensions we, we felt genuine love yeah. from the, the people the churches that were involved and so it wasn't um and believe me had we felt an inkling of that we probably would we we, we more than likely would not have joined yeah um or that you were, yeah, we, yeah, or that you were the token black people in the absolutely, which has yeah. always been. Because I'll be honest with you, with other groups, I've always had this thing of like, okay, I look at all their leadership. Their leadership is primarily white. They have they have people of color that are partnering with them, but they're they're not. It, it just seems like a token gesture or like a political gesture sort of thing. And yeah. uh, I I really can say from our perspective, it's like we believe that we believe that the network of churches that are, we, that we're a part of should represent what the kingdom of God looks like just period. Cause yeah, that's a gift to the church. Yeah, I think it um, is. Yep. So yeah. Um, Andy, what other man, Gil, Gil, like just drops some real knowledge and, and on me and I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of reeling mentally right now. <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah. And I, I think for me, I just want to say to every, every person of color that like, I'm sorry for, the way that I either 
on purpose or in on purpose and on purpose, not on purpose. purpose, It's made up a word, but like (laughs) treated them differently from any other person that I know. So I'm, I want to apologize to everybody that, that, that I know and don't know that I may have, um, treated differently. Yeah. And we, and, and that's the thing. Like there's a lot of, I'm sorry. Like there's just a lot of arms. I'm sorry. That needs to be said, just genuinely said. And, um, you know, Marquito has been talking a lot about white guilt recently. And, uh, I'm, I'm like navigating that a little bit. Like I don't, I I don't hear the black community asking white folks to feel guilty. That's not, that's not the request or to, or to feel to be ashamed though, though some should be ashamed. Uh, uh, but rather, uh, to have conversations and be willing to open our eyes to the, to the reality. I think the hardest pill for me to swallow and, and Gil, when I initially messaged you and just said kind of the, the sense of shame that I have felt is uh, it is hard for me to deal with the fact that I have thrived in a system in which other people are not thriving. And when you recognize that it's like, what do you do with that? You know, it's like, I, I cause I, I think I can thrive in, I think I should be able to thrive in systems and in cultures where everyone is thriving. I think that that would be a good, a good thing, but it's like, what, what does it mean when I can do really well in a system that other people can't do well in at all? Um, how, like, how do I even, na- you know, how do I even navigate that? Cause I mean, middle-class six foot four white Joel. Um, I just, I don't have a lot of problems. Quite honestly, there's just not a lot of things that get in my way if I want to do stuff. Just quite frankly, like that's it, you know. And yet, someone in a in a, of of a different situation, you know, whether it be socioeconomic, racial, or whatever, um, that's not true for them. I think we just have to say, like, we just have to recognize that. And that's not me being uh, politically liberal or or Marxist or some sort of communist to say, you know that things are not equal. No, right. I mean, they're just not equal. um, The truth of the matter is that people are going to, because here's what we get a lot. uh, And it's been, we've had so many phone calls in the past eight, nine days. And, um, mostly some of our white friends were going, tell me what to do. I don't even know what to say. And da, 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 da. It's like, just, just take a few minutes and be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, are there ways that, like, the system is is kind of set up to ge- for white males to gen- uh, to to benefit the greatest yes. from our from our society? Okay, but it doesn't mean that every white person, every white guy walking around is a racist. It doesn't mean that. It just means that, man, you know, in areas where you can speak out against it, and when you recognize, it, say something, mm-hmm. call it out. I'm seeing a lot. I'm watching some of these news. I'm watching protests and it looks like I'm looking, I'm going, it looks like there's more white people there than black. Yeah. Yep. That to me is a huge win. Mm-hmm. And so again, like you going back to the whole thing you said about Marquito, not wanting to instill white guilt on people. I don't want to see white guilt. I want to see white repentance. Amen. I want to see a change of mind. Amen. I want you to say, man, I'm going to actively talk to my, children about what racism looks like about what prejudice looks like about when your friends start talking like this you speak up and say i don't think like that and you shouldn't either teach them to be courageous and to stand up and to stand out 
I don't want white people cowering around me going, I feel so bad about what you've been through. It's like, thank you. But that's not where it should really end. It should be, I'm going to actively do my part to make sure that this thing doesn't persist for another generation. Right. And when I see it raise its ugly head, I'm going to deal with it. Yep. Absolutely. That, should, that is more valuable than, than, you know, a, a, a lot of tears because a lot of people are seeing how, what this means now to a lot of their black friends. And I'm like, man, I, I had no idea this was, it was like this bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the real thing is, is change. Yeah. Is how am I going to affect change going forward? Yep. Yeah. I, uh, Man, and I, I appreciate it. I was watching, uh, let's see here. I was watching a news update uh, with what was going with the protests that are going on in Atlanta and uh, uh, just a great nine minutes of kind of an impromptu speech from uh, Killer Mike. I don't know if you've seen his, uh, his community leader in the area as, as well as a, a recording artist and um, yep. you know, he just said he's like in, in his whole point was, and he has many family members that were, that are in law enforcement yep. and he's like, father yeah, yeah. And, and he goes, I love the police. I love, I appreciate what they do. Uh, and, and he was really trying to uh, just really articulate a, a peaceful approach toward protest, but he yeah. was, he was also saying, uh, do not spend energy on violence. We need to come together collectively. We need, and then he said, we need to strategize. We actually need to come with a plan forward because all the boohooing and all of that at the end of the day, doesn't get things really changed. Like me just feeling bad about stuff. Isn't what, you know, that's not what, what changes people. I mean, even as we're parenting, just getting my kids to feel bad about stuff that they do doesn't get them to do the thing that they ought to do moving moving forward and right. i just i appreciated that word and he's like he's like we need to come together we need to plan forward that's where we need to be spending our energy and not just kind of catharting through all of this yes there are tears yes there are terrible things that have happened yes the families that have that have lost a loved one they they are rightfully mourning through all of this our our country should mourn through this and repent and it just seems to your point on the repentance piece um the the real biblical definition of that is is a change of mind it is a yes. it is a i was going here and now i am going here and i am right. not going back to that thing and uh that is that is the best thing that we can do for our for our communities i i i wholeheartedly uh agree um so the other the last thing gil that we do want to touch on is and i i posted this on my facebook page because i just have gotten into it but uh you were you were uh we'll call it you were an early copy a manuscript reviewer of this book that is out a language of healing for a polarized nation creating safe yeah. environments for conversations about race politics sexuality and religion um for uh, our evangelical friends, uh, Mark Laberton, uh, he gave some, uh, yes, a, a really important review. But uh, Gil, you were you were part of kind of the early review people. This, you, uh, your name is in print inside of this book. Uh, yeah. So man, when he sent me a sent me the that's initial special. Copy and, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh man, my yeah. review is inside this book, <laughs> right next to all these. Big wigs and yuckety yucks. That's man. right. Yeah. I, I, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, Gil Michelle, I know someone famous. Um, 
<laughs> so uh, Gil said this about this book, a language of healing is the spirit child of Bob Wayne and Arnita, but it has uh, been my heart cry for the past 12 years. The honest conversational style of this much needed volume could be what helps to denote the time bomb that seems to be ticking in our over uh, sensitized and polarized discourse. I can't help but think that this book could be the antithesis of what has uh, what was done at the Tower of Babel, solid Old Testament reference, uh, rather than confound the languages to stop us from moving forward. This work can serve to unite us around a common language that will hear the very that will heal the very ones who need it most. This book came. I mean, what a timing of this of this book. My good, like God's hand was, was at work, I think with this, um, Gil, what, what, yeah, I don't know if there's anything more you want to, I just want to recommend this book, uh, and, yeah. and just say, um, from your perspective, I mean, what, what is helpful about this, about this volume? What do you, what do you see it contributing to the conversation? You know, what's so funny is I, they didn't, I didn't even ask them this, but I saw that the timing in which that they, the three authors released that book. I really believe it was because they wanted to get ahead of the political conversations that were going to happen coming up to this, um, this election season. And boy, we're talking about timely. Um, so now they talked about talking about sexuality and politics and, and, and religion and race. Um, and man, how timely. I don't even think, they understood what exactly they were doing when they wrote the book. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think they were trying to get ahead of the election season and, and, and really help people um, inform how people discuss uh, politics. Now, that's a whole, as my friend would say, that's a whole nother Sunday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but man, the discussion around politics for my, white conservative brothers, friends, and, you know, and then the, the liberal ones, it's like, man, all you have to do is you, it's like grab your popcorn and watch your news feed <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you'll be on, you can be entertained for hours. Yes. And, um, and it just seemed as if people were becoming more and more polarized, even, let me just use this example. And this is nothing against to say against Donald Trump. I saw people when Donald Trump started running for president and there were other people in the primary, Republican primary, they, man, they couldn't stop talking about how bad Trump was. As soon as he became the Republican guy, it's like switch on, switch off. It's like, absolutely. He became, Oh, you know, he's Cyrus. Mm -hmm. God is going to have his hand is on him. And I'm like, isn't the guy you called the buffoon six months ago? Right. Like I just didn't understand. And people seem to have become much more, they rallied behind their political affiliations more than they did around Christ. And, um, and then in the same manner, he's like, yeah, man, Black Lives Matter. But you talk about abortion and other item, uh, uh, issues that are considered or deemed, you know, Republican hot buttons or hot potatoes. Then like, no, no, no. Like, wait, I thought, all, I thought lives matter, you know? Yeah. So you see how people can, they can make their thing their main thing rather than, as you pointed out earlier, isn't this about the kingdom and about our first allegiances to the Lord? So, so it's so funny. I'm thinking, man, this is a great book to have out and have people get into really good, meaningful discussions around politics and 
and, and matters of, of, of culture and things of that nature. And man, it became much more applicable for other subjects as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it. And, uh, uh, Gil moderated a conversation amongst, and the the authors are Wayne Jacobson, which that name will ring a bell with some uh, as well. Uh, Arnita Willis Taylor and Robert L. Uh, Prater, and um, it's out. It's available. A language of healing for a polarized nation. Uh, this, I mean, I think it'd be a giant win if your church small group got together around this book. I think it'd be a giant win if. Um, if we could just enter into, I, I think about some of the faith communities that I've been a part of that were, you know, again, predominantly white, uh, you know, middle-class evangelical or whatever. And I just know the, I just know the tensions and the uneasiness that there is with stepping into that water and beginning to have those conversations. Our leaders really need to have the courage right now just to, to create space to say, this is what we're going to talk about. Um, I know when I get together with my high schoolers next week, uh, this is the subject, you know, this is, this is going to be the talk. And, um, it's not because I have some sort of political agenda. I just firmly believe that as Christians, we are called to a better way in this area. Right. And so we need, (laughs) we just, we need to talk. We need to talk y'all. We need to talk and and talk to it because Gil, when I reached out to you earlier, I mean, the one thing that, that struck me when you said is people want to talk, but they don't want to, they don't want to hear, you know, right. you know, they're, they're afraid what might come back. And, um, that, that's what we have to be willing. We have to really being willing to listen and to hear. Yeah. Cause, cause the fact of the matter is, I mean, you're, you're, I was going to say you're sitting right here in front of me now. You're sort of <laughs> sitting here in front of me now. You're on the TV um, in front of Joel and, yes. and, you have had these experiences. These things have happened to you. You've had these conversations. This is not made up hypothetical uh, racial discourse. This is your life in real time. And I like to think you're a well-balanced, well-adjusted human being. You're not, you know, there, these are not, and yet your experience is not unique. And so when we start digging in, we see, oh, there are themes here that emerge with how people of color are treated uh, and, and right now we're talking by law enforcement, by people in, in power. Um, we have to be willing to say that that's a thing that's, that's happening. <laughs> and, um, and I just, uh, and at the same time, I really believe that the only way forward through any of it is Jesus. Quite honestly. Um, I don't care. Republican, Democrat, whatever. Uh, Y'all have had your shot. You've uh, you've tried to solve these things. We're not we're not where we ought to be. Uh, I think Christ is. Uh, yeah, he's he's gonna yeah. he's he's the answer. Yeah, I know it sounds super Christian of all of us to Jesus is the answer. <laughs> Sometimes Jesus is the answer, guys. Right. Sometimes the Sunday school answer is the right, right one. It's the right one. Um, so, Gil, buddy, uh, man, thank you for just just talking with us and and i just yeah. i just hope people have just heard with open hearts and, and open ears to uh just we just we're just scratching the surface obviously here but th- this is these are the realities uh that that are around and uh you know what guys if you don't uh, gil told me to do this earlier well he didn't tell me he told he, he said this out loud so if you don't have a black friend get one 
this <laughs> I think you sort of said that Gil right I'm sort of you know it's it's <laughs> find a find get a friend who comes from a different perspective or has had some different experiences is that fair to say I yeah I think there's a rent a rent a black friend dot com yeah, like that. <laughs> that seems racist too but anyway I uh, <laughs> um we can we can we can joke about that uh yeah. I um but I think like it has been incredibly helpful to me that I have had I've just had people that I love and respect so much that are people of color that have have had these have had all these experiences and because I know and trust them um, I can actually I, it feels like I can actually hear them like I'm able to hear them and hear what they say because I have that relationship with them and yes. what they do have to say means a ton more to me than just some person speaking on a television screen or 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 whatever and I think that's right. the important thing we, we need this is about real lives. Um, this is about real experiences and we need to, uh, we need to acknowledge that. But, uh, before we let Gil go, Andy, we have, we have one, one thing, one thing. Now it's time for the dudes and dads pop quiz. All right. So if you've never joined us before, the pop quiz is a time that we just ask Gil some random questions that have nothing to do with this conversation that we just talked about, but just some yep. random, random things. Yeah, so. exactly. See guys, he's not faking, faking that surprise. That is he, legitimate surprise. That's legitimate. So Gil, we'll each ask you like, ah, eh, we'll each ask like four or five questions, something like that. And uh, it's off the cuff. And uh, we're just looking for the, we're looking for the, the hard hitting answers here. So, uh, good luck to you. May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Uh, Am I going to go first? Okay, Gil, what is the favorite? What is your favorite meal that your wife prepares? Ooh, fried fish. Great answer. Where was the first place that you and your wife went on a date? Okay, the first, well, first technical date, I guess, would be. Okay. Uh, heaven on seventh in in um, it's in Illinois. Really cool town. Anyway, it's in Illinois. Heaven gotcha. on seventh. Good, good enough. Uh, Gil, um, what's your uh, what's your go to love song? Oh. <laughs> 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 um. There's nothing better than love by Luther Vandross. Oh, Luther Vandross. Oh, my oh, gosh. That's a good one. Silky. Mm. That's a good one. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite thing to do with your son? <laughs> his favorite thing or my favorite? Oh, Bo, either, either one. Oh, his favorite thing is to play the Wii. All right. What about yours? What is your favorite thing to do with him? Um... You know, we started playing catch in the backyard with uh with mitts and ball. Yeah, softball. Good. Yeah. Um, Gil, if you were not uh in doing the ministry, if you you were not a pastor, and if you were not a an accountant, what do you think you would? What do you fancy you might be doing with your life? What's what's another alter ego thing that you might have uh, gotten into? That's very easy to answer. Ooh. There was no one who could not have told me that I was not going to be the next Eddie Murphy growing up. So I was oh. gonna, my goal was to be a comedic actor. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, my last question here is if you could go any place on vacation, what place would it be? 
any place on vacation. Um, I, I don't know why. I've always wanted to go to Australia. Okay. So, Australia. Joel, do you have a last question for Gil? Um. Yeah, I did have a question. What did I? What was I going to ask? You lost uh, it. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, Gil, if you could uh, have lunch with any Bible character, what would it be? Who would it be? If I could have lunch with any Bible character, yes. Ooh. If you say, and I'm not going to allow Jesus because that's just whatever. That's a churchy. That's answer. a churchy answer. Okay. Man, can I get one woman and one man? Sure. Yes, hundred percent. We are we're very egalitarian here. So yes. <laughs> The, the man that I would have lunch with uh, would be Joseph. Um, the woman I have lunch with, it would, of course, be in an open setting if other people could see, yeah. but it would, be Rahab, it would be Rahab, the harlot. There right. we go. Right. Yeah. That seems, that's, that seems that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you for coming out. Well, like, again, I always see coming out. We're, you're not here. You're online with us, but uh, <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, and just having some open and honest, honest conversations. I appreciate that. Joel appreciates that. And I think overall, so like hopefully that our listeners just um, can take the things that you said and, and take them to heart and take a good, honest look at themselves and, and see if and where they need to change. Um, so, yeah, thanks again for, for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You can find all of our episodes at dudesanddadspodcast.com. Joel, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We're all not the on places. We're not on MySpace, but come out and hang out with us on all of those places. Um, also, if you want to help support this show, make sure to go out to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash dudes and dads podcast where you can get some extra behind the scenes stuff for just a small monthly fee that's lovely and guys all of the good details of uh from this show will be over there at dudes and dads podcast.com so check it out until next time my friends grace and peace Hey guys, I wanted to come back on here and make a comment about something I said in the episode. The more I thought about the beginning of this episode, the more I realized that I was wrong. I made mention in the beginning about can we just skip past 2020 and go on to 2021 because I'm, I'm done with it. And the more I thought about that, the more I realized how wrong I was. We cannot just skip 2020 and have the whole race issue taken care of. We have to sit down. We have to look at our hearts. We have to actually take action and make changes in order for the racial issues that are happening today to be resolved. So I'm sorry for the comments that I made in the beginning of this episode.